So, uh, guys, you won't typically get a video uh, if you're part of my project. Instead, you'll be listening to a podcast. Problem is, is that last night the podcast did not record because some idiot uh, didn't turn on his microphone. So, therefore, there was a backup uh, recording that I did with a flip video camera just in case something happened. It cut off battery-wise because some idiot didn't charge it. Um, for the last minute of the message. So I'm going to record that and just put it on the end of the message, but literally all you missed was the end. Um, so again, guys, thank you very much for being a part of my project. I appreciate it. The uh, research that's going to happen actually may lead in some interesting directions, not just for us in Tapestry, but for other people also. Uh, so thank you very much for being a part of it, and I just appreciate your effort. So guys, you can grab a seat. We are about to read through what I would refer to as a time of scripture. And if you'd like to know why I would refer to it as a time of scripture, because it is a time of scripture. Actually, that's not the way I would really refer to it. Uh, in my opinion, we would refer to it as a buttload of scripture. But that does not seem appropriate to say for scripture, even though I just said it. <laughs> it is super small enough, and here's the I, I almost reached the point of just saying the 13th chapter of the Gospel according to Mark, which is pretty important to me that you have the scripture in front of you. Apparently so important that it doesn't really matter to me if you can read it. <laughs> I really have an issue of like, I don't know that I can make it any smaller and be readable. And there's a few announcements that kind of need to be on there, and the scripture's going to be elsewhere. So... One of the dreams of tapestry is to do a thing, or to, one of the things that we try to do is we try to do things that are meaningful. We don't just do certain things because churches do that. Um, I will freely admit that I just printed scripture just because I like having the scripture there. Because realistically, unless you have really, really good eyes, you probably hear a few people that are up to read it. I'm here, sir. Thanks, Okay, so we're going to read the entire 13th chapter of the Gospel according to Mark. Uh, so, here's what I want to ask you to do. I have personal pet peeves. Most of my personal pet peeves have to do with Southerners, because I'm a Southerner, or with uh, preachers, because I am a pastor, uh, or with conservatives, because I'm a Reformed conservative. Okay? Some of us in the room are conservative. I'm generally conservative, but I'm more, much more lenient on my progressive brothers and sisters than I am on my conservative brothers and sisters because I come from that background. Does that make sense? Sounds like you Like what? Like you fight with your family more than you do, than you, you do strangers. I know some people who fight lots of strangers, but they're kind of odd. Um, so, there are pastors that will say you need to write this in your Bible. I would never say you need to write this in your Bible. But if you do write in your Bible, what I would encourage you to do is circle words or phrases that are repeated in this passage. Just like anybody else, somebody repeats something, you generally know that's kind of the focus of it. So what we're about to read can be scary, but uh, there's a lot of key words. So, the 13th chapter according to the Gospel of Mark it says the following. As he was leaving the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. 
you see all these great moments through the Jesus? Not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, uh, opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign that they are, uh, are all about to be fulfilled? Jesus said to them, Watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name, claiming I am he, and will deceive many. Uh, when you hear of wars and rumors of war, do not be alarmed. Such things must happen. But the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines. These are the beginnings of birth pains. You must be on your guard. You will be handed over to local councils and flogged in the synagogues. On account of me, you will stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. The gospel must first be preached to all nations. Whenever you are arrested and brought to trial, do not worry beforehand about what to say. Just say whatever is given to you at that time. For it is not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father this child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. All men will hate you because of me, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. When you see the abomination that causes desolation, standing where it does not belong, let the reader understand that. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the roof of his house go down or enter the house to take anything out. Let no one in the field go back to get his cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that this will not take place in winter, because those, those will be the days of distress unequal from the beginning when God created the world until now, and never to be equal again. If the Lord had not cut, cut those days short, no one would survive. But for the sake of his elect, whom he has chosen, he has shortened them. At that time, anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or look, there he is, do not believe. For false Christ and false prophets will appear and perform signs and miracles to deceive the elect, but if that were possible. So be on your guard. I told you everything ahead of time. But in those days, following that distress, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, men will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory, and he will send his angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heavens. Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that it is near, right at the door. I tell you the truth, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. No one knows the day or the hour. Not even the angels in heaven or the Son. Only the Father. Be on guard. Be alert. You do not know when that time will come. It is like a man going away. He leaves his house and puts his servants in charge, each with his assigned task, and tells the one at the door to keep watch. Therefore, 
keep watch because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back. Whether in the evening or at midnight, when the rooster crows or at dawn, he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. Now guys, I think it's only appropriate talk about this, because this is the year 2012, and there's, there's a big prophecy that has happened. That would be the end of the world. Yes, sir, Jacob. Yes. Guys, if you think about it, we, we have a year that's, that's happening where people are focused on the end of the year, and that's unlike any other year in the history of humanity, because nobody has ever focused on the end of the world before, except for last year, and like the year before that, <laughs> the year before that, back when I was in college in 1988, there was a wonderful book called 88 Reasons the Lord Will Return in 1988. Oh, there's guys like every year. Okay, so here, this past year, <laughs> we had, had Harold Camby who predicted not just once, but twice, that the Lord would return. Uh, that, that he changed one prediction because there were all these billboards going on around uh, that said May, was it May 21st? Actually, the date, yeah, okay. May 21st it would happen. And then what he said was that the Lord would return spiritually, but the end of the world did not happen. Which is a great little trick that has been pulled before the Jonas Witnesses pulled it twice. This is nothing new. Okay, you, you all remember the time where we had the laser-eyed cat who came and destroyed the world? <laughs> what is the right question? Because the reality is, it, almost any year you pick, you can find somebody well-known or, or, or next to nobody who has predicted that the end of the earth will happen. And there are people who respond in utter panic. If, if you want an interesting little history, just go back and read story after story after story of the end of the world. And there are people who believe it. When, when uh, Charles Smith Russell, Russell, who was the founder of Jones Witnesses, uh, founded it the first one in 1907, there were people who sold everything they had and stood on the rooftops of their houses and their barns and so forth and so on. They gave away their possessions. Now, I'm not against giving away your possessions. I think there are times when we should do that. But I don't know that we should do it because of the fact that we've just decided that Jesus is returning. Um, and we just don't want to be burdened by that stuff. It's different to do it because you know Jesus is returning and you want to act upon his God. We see this all over the place. I mentioned that book, uh, 88 Reasons the Lord Will Return in 1988. Obviously, he didn't. He did not stop the author of that book from writing another book called 89 Reasons the Lord Will Return in 1989. And there were still people who did what he said. There are big-time authors who have predicted the Lord will return. There are big-time preachers that have predicted the Lord will return. And the only thing we know for sure is they were wrong. What? what? And there probably is one. I did not know that. Is it a joke or is it serious? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> That's the scary thing. It's just massive. So here, here's, here's what I think we should focus on. Because Jesus just said,
us from that scripture that you can now adequately predict the Lord's return. What he said was all the signs would happen. <coughs> so here's something I want to show you. Now, if you walked down this hall, which is one of the only two ways you can enter this room, because you could have walked the opposite way, but nobody does that, uh, because that's blocked off and it's dark. And we all know that we're scared of the dark, so you don't walk down this hall. But if you walk down this, you saw these wonderful little things that these kids developed. They're called Wordles. There's a website that does it. I love that we meet in a, in a, a uh, school, because I, I have to tell you, I love seeing kids talk. Sometimes, because it is incredibly humorous. Sometimes, because they say things that only kids can say, that adults said it would be completely wrong. And then sometimes I love it because it reminds me of the real world is because there's six other things that are down that are just normal life. No kid should ever have to have one of the key words of their life as divorce. And if you walk through that that word on the keywords of one of the lines of course. Now what a word does is it takes a passage of a text, either that you've written or somebody else has written, and it makes these words, it determines their size based on how often they occur. This is the entire 13th chapter, excluding ofs and these and ands. It has a small insignificant words that are significant when they're connecting other words, but the other words won't determine the meaning. This is the entire 13th chapter of the Gospel of Mark. Now, there are some pretty big words there. Now, the reason they're big is because they are repeated over and over and over again. I want us to look at a few different ones, okay? Because there's a definite theme to what Jesus is saying here. And it is not, hey, you can figure out the exact time. There's a reason that Jesus says in this text of Scripture that no one knows when the day will come. Not just no one. He says, I don't know. Jesus didn't know when the day of his return, when the end of the age would happen. Only the Father knows. It's not important for Jesus to know. I don't think it wasn't super important for us to know. But that doesn't mean that he doesn't say, watch and see. It doesn't mean that it shouldn't shape our behavior. Our end should determine how we live now. It's that important. You play the game based on the end you want to achieve. But it doesn't mean we know when the end will happen. So, this is the word eschaton. Anybody want to take a long guess what it means? Well, eschatology is based on it. It's the study of the eschaton. Eschaton is the end. And, and sometimes eschatology is turned into this really fancy thing with charts. Now, I'll go ahead and get to you. I love being able to draw theology. Anytime I can draw a theological concept, uh, it thrills me. Some of you, I've had a discussion with you, and somehow or another, I turned that discussion into something about the Trinity, because I am fascinated by the Trinity. I love the Trinity. I have probably drawn three circles together. If I were to get a tattoo, but I have one scared of pain, Two, if I got a tattoo that would keep me from going to BioLife for about six weeks, and I'm too cheap to do that. But if I got a tattoo, it would be this Celtic symbol of the Trinity, which is actually the intersection of three circles. I love drawing theology. But it drives me nuts when people come up with graphs for the end of time. This happens here, this happens here, this happens here, this happens here. Suddenly the cat 
blinks her eyes, comes back and destroys the world. It's a great big waste of time because they spend a lot of time on it and it doesn't affect their lives at all. So what ends up happening is eschatology, which is literally the study of the end, gets pushed over to this freak area where people tell you, hey, do 2 plus 2 plus 7 plus 8 plus 9, it all works out, and they never actually make a difference in the world. Gets pushed off to the area with Christians where you look at them and you go, oh, I don't want to be around them. I want to make sure my friends don't go around them because they don't actually lead people to Jesus. They don't actually help people to have a relationship with this God who is about love, this God who is coming. Instead, they kind of just encourage everybody else to know I'm right and you're wrong. I mean, do you remember the stuff that was going on with Harold Camping? Do you remember the, the news articles that were happening? These were not news articles that glorified Jesus Christ. These were not news articles that helped people to want to have a relationship with Christ. Instead, they either scared people or gave them a reason not to want to be Jesus. They were lots of people to, to, uh, to uh, sell their stuff, and they bought their time for his radio Now, thankfully, you as a group, if I told you you should sell everything and get the factory, the laughter would be so huge that I wouldn't be able to get another word out, and most of you would think I was joking, and those of you who didn't think I was joking would probably be prepared to take me outside and teach me a lesson about the end. <laughs> or the <laughs> But we really shouldn't study the end. Think of the stuff that Jesus just said back to you. And, and I think there's a reason that we are fascinated by the end. And I think it's because we all know that the Titanic is sinking. And then we're on it. I don't know many people that question that the world seems to get a little worse even when it gets a little better. I know a lot of people who think the 1950s was the best part of time ever on Earth, but it was still evil then. Gee, no you going to say It was wonderful. It was it was wonderful if you were right. Did you understand the words? You made it right over. You brought the rest of the grass. You didn't cookies. If you were right. I don't know about that. I've got very different pictures of my two pictures. They usually involve poses and dogs. Actually, it's a little light. The world is so much better because we have better video games than Paul. Guys, most people I know do think the world is getting worse. Now, I do think the world is where it gets better, okay? I do think it gets better. But even in the midst of us getting it better, I mean, there's a reason that environmentalism is kicked into gear so much because it's like, oh my gosh, they're destroying the world! So people rightly freak out when we start talking about the end times. But the way Jesus was talking about the end times was not the same. It was not some other possession of the Jesus. So, back in 
2005, I've mentioned this a few times, uh, my family went through a little thing called Hurricane Katrina. This was my moment of fame as a photographer because I was on Flickr, a uh, website. I have photos that have been viewed by millions of people because of the fact that I was in Baton Rouge, Louisiana at this time, and I was taking photos, and I put them on the internet, uh, and I worked in a shelter. Now, hurricanes are an interesting phenomenon. I've mentioned this before, some of you think I'm joking, but my wife and I kind of miss hurricane preparation. It's fascinating, okay? When a hurricane comes, you see people's priorities. I used to go to grocery stores and take photos of what people were buying. The bread section and the beer section were always the two sections that disappeared the fastest. Look at what the guys buy, okay? But then we would spend time at our home uh, preparing. These are our preparations. Do you know what the table in the window does? Absolutely nothing. <laughs> Just makes you feel better. The only appropriate response is plywood. For those of you in the know, this is part of my hurricane preparation. That would be a spud gun. Okay. A spud gun. That would be a tape cannon. Everybody should have Why? Because when the power goes out, you have got to have some form of entertainment. <laughs> and there is very little in this world that is as entertaining as taking a one-pound potato and sending it over 300 feet in the air. <laughs> it's awesome. Where is it? Huh? <coughs> it's in the garage. Yes, sir. This was combustion hard. The Aquanet right there, that is what I used as my propeller. You would spray the Aquanet in, I had a, a, a little thing that comes off of the grill, and I push the button, and it go, there'd be a flying spud in the air. Very dangerous. So much fun. <laughs>
If you've been trained in first aid, if you've been trained uh, as a, life, uh, a lifeguard, you know that a dead lifeguard can't save anyone. So when you swim out to them, if they start to fight with you, what do you do? Yes. Let them drown until they reach a point where they can save I'm not mean by that that we should not prepare for anything at all. I'm not meaning that we should have the mindset of, hey, a hurricane's coming. I'll stand outside because Jesus will protect me. Jesus gave you a brain. <laughs> okay? And I think if you die because you were stupid, the beginning of heaven will, will be for you. Jesus going, well, that was dumb. <laughs> <laughs> but you're welcome in here Because there's no intelligence test for us to make you to heaven. <laughs> But there are people that go beyond that, and they move from, I'm, I'm ready to, to meet my needs, and I'm able to meet other people's needs. They move from that, they go to the only thing that matters in I think if you think about it, you can see that in the church. We get so concerned with, with just us. We get so concerned with our own personal piety, our own personal holiness, the fact that we need to, to not do certain things because of the fact that Jesus coming back does mean there are things we shouldn't do. That's not the only thing. I made a point of this, this scripture out. This is actually the second telling of this. Jesus tells this story twice. But in the second one, in Luke, he says this, Be careful or your hearts will be weighted down with carousing? Carousing. Carousing, thank you. Drunkenness and the anxieties of life. And that day will close on you suddenly like a trap, for it will come on all those who live on the face of the horror. Be always on the watch and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen, and that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. It is important that, that because of the fact that Jesus is coming back, that we live holy lives, that we live lives where we are trying to sin less and less, because we have a God who is worthy of us being holy that is important. That is good. There are things in our lives that we should say, Jesus could come back right now. And I don't want to do that. But that's not all. And sometimes I think that's what happens. People reach the point of just being concerned with themselves. Not like it all can't be It wasn't about the fact that the Titanic's thinking we could save so many more people. There's another response, though. Another response to Jesus saying, watch, because I'm coming back. And that other response is this. He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority. They're asking him about when is your return coming. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Um, comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. They say, hey, when is all this happening? Jesus says it's not going to be time, but you will receive power. Why? To go out and do his work. To go out and do that which Jesus would do. To do the very things he's just been doing. He has been proclaiming good news, but he has also been he has been proclaiming that salvation comes through a God who will forgive of the wrong trust, but he has also been setting the captives free. It's not just about my personal safety, it is also about going 
and taking a world that, yes, is sinking, a world that is getting worse, but also bringing part of his light into the midst of it. Even while it's sinking. See, I think the fact that we have a God who is coming back should turn our eyes into hard bad areas, should turn our eyes into dangerous areas. I can't tell you the number of times that I hear people say that when you go to church, people are safe. And church should not be safe. Church should be the most dangerous part of our lives. And I said church should be the most dangerous part, not the most dangerous hour. There is no New Testament concept of going to church. You would not hear them say, we're going to go to church now. The New Testament concept is being the church. And being that church should be so dangerous that every now and then we, do, we just kind of shake our shoes and go, what is Jesus going to do now? What is he going to do now? What is he going to do now? And at the same time that we're a little scared of what he's going to do now, we're fascinated and we're going, what is he going to do now? What is he going to do now? What is he going to do now? You know that moment where you're scared of, I don't know that I can do this, but at the same time, you're yes. See, our lives should be these amazing, miraculous things because we have a God who's coming back. We have a God who is the end, the eschaton. So, this is my favorite scene in the Lord of the Rings. I get chills when I think about it. Somebody said I can't, I can't actually show the video because I might start whimpering a little bit in the midst of this. I love it. Now, if you're a J.R.R. Tolkien fan, you know this scene already. And for the rest of you, like my wife who doesn't like that scene, this will be meaningless. <laughs> Just think of Mr. Darcy doing something, okay? <laughs> Guys, this is a great scene. Mr. Darcy fighting a dragon. Yes. If Mr. Darcy was fighting a dragon, would you be fascinated by it?
And so, while school is important, and school is important, don't get me wrong, what was more important was that they went and loved on these kids. Now, they didn't fail their classes. They didn't skip out so much as they felt. But they understood that if it was a difference between them getting an A plus and an A minus, Jesus was happy with the A minus that they were going in ministry. There was a choice between a C and, and, you know, a B. Maybe Jesus was more pleased with the C. And so they would go every day for 11 months. thousand people living on basketball court. Picture this, Jeff. It was not much bigger than this basketball court. And a thousand people. These kids went and they played and they did three daycare for these kids who were living on basketball court for 11 months. Why? Because they knew that Jesus is coming back. The end is coming and they wanted to be There were several huge bubonic plagues during the Roman Empire. Uh, and, and one, actually three of them, took place during the beginning of Christianity, back before we were the established church. Okay, so before Constantine, there were three major plagues. And do you know what people would do when a plague hit, this, hit a city? They would run out of it. Only makes sense if you think about it. They would run away from the danger. Why? Because you need to take care of yourself. But if you know the one who is the end, and you know the end is coming, you don't run away from pain. Christians became known for several things. One of those was adopting children that had been, the term was exposed. You could expose your child. If you decided uh, you wanted a boy and you had a girl, you could literally take that girl out of the wilderness and it would die. It's called exposure because it's a nicer word than her. And Christians began to go, oh, but we don't care she's not ours. And Christians started taking these orphans in because they were more concerned with, with uh, life than they were concerned with uh, whether or not the rest of One of the other things they became known for was literally, oh, if there's a plague in a city, the Christians would go into it. Because what do you have to fear? If you really know the one who is the end, if you know that you cannot die, I don't mean by that you can't die physically, but that you just pass home and you have a trouble life then. What's the matter? So Christians would run into these plague infested cities. Because they knew the end. So before I end, and we talk about maybe some options, what do we do? Does anybody have anything that needs to be added? Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am.
So the part that you missed that was cut off was this. The Titanic is sinking. We know that. Uh, we have the option uh, of responding to that in fear, just looking for our own safety, or responding uh, to that by doing everything we possibly can to save more people who were created in the image of God. Uh, Titanic sinking. We have a chance to be heroes. You have a chance to give more than you can possibly give, uh, to forgive more than you ever thought was possible, uh, to do things that you never, ever thought uh, you could possibly do. Because the reality is, is you couldn't do it without the power that comes from the Holy Spirit. So what I asked people to do this week was uh, to forgive people that they thought they could never possibly forgive and to live that forgiveness out in love. Uh, to give in circumstances that they're sure they don't have enough resources to be able to give, uh, be that their time, be that their money, uh, be that their effort, uh, and to go out and love in ways that they know there's absolutely no possible way they could love. Uh, when we do that, we glorify uh, the God who created us in His image. That's the end of the message. Hope you had a good weekend. Bye.